Let's turn in the Bible to the New Testament to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And today we'll be looking at verses 19 through 21. 2 Timothy 2 beginning in verse 19. Apostle Paul writes, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Thus ends the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and life-giving word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We need this word. It is a lamp for our feet, a light to our path. It is, Lord, a sanctifying word to us. So, Lord, would you... Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul has reminded Timothy, this young pastor at Ephesus, of several things. He said, Timothy, you need to be diligent in your work in the Lord's church. And the way Timothy was to do that is by rightly handling, rightly dividing the word of God as he preached, as he taught it. At the same time, Paul said, you need to shun idle and profane babbling. This empty talk, this mindless chatter would only lead to more ungodliness. He said it would spread like cancer or gangrene, which is a horrible thought. If left unchecked. And then he mentions two individuals, two men in particular, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had been guilty of straying from the truth, teaching false doctrine about the resurrection. And he says, by doing that, at the end of verse 18, he says, they have overthrown the faith of some. I think of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 9, verse 42 where he said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And so Timothy had to be on guard for the, for the flock, for, the, for weak believers, so that their faith would not be upset and, and that men like Philetus and Hymenaeus would not uh, be uh, spreading their false doctrines. So, in verse 19 now, Paul gives Timothy an encouraging word. He says, nevertheless, in spite of what's going on, you've got some bad agents here in the church. They're spreading bad doctrine. It's bad news. The good news is that we are going to be resurrected at the end of time. That has not taken place yet. Bad news, they were teaching, oh, it's already taken place. It's already happened. Um, and, And so, he says, nevertheless... In spite of what is going on, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. So 
Some members of the church might lead others astray. Some might be led astray. Some might even uh, fall away from the faith. But God's true church would continue. Uh, Timothy and the faithful believers in the church should not lose heart at what was taking place uh, when they saw defection or desertion uh, from others from the faith. Psalm 91 verse 7 says, A thousand may fall at your side. And 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. And I think that has really more of a spiritual application for God's chosen people. And that is you and I, if we know the Lord Jesus, if he has set his love upon us from eternity, we will be preserved from, from evil, from heresy, from turning away from God. You know, in our day, entire denominations have fallen away from God. Uh, they have rejected the Bible as the, the final authority for faith and practice, rejected the inerrancy of Scripture. They pick and choose what, what they will believe. And uh, yet, those who are chosen of God, the true church of God, the Catholic church, if you will, will not fall from God. You see, God keeps His true, His invisible church uh, from being ultimately deceived. We may be, yes, deceived uh, for a short time, but we'll never stay in error. God will take us uh, to where he wants us to be and teach us his ways. I saw a news headline this past week, and it and it simply read, uh, Radical LBGTQ activists want to destroy the church in America. Uh, and they are attempting to destroy it by one way is by infiltration. Another way is by legislation. We had a recent bill that passed uh, the same-sex marriage bill, and it really undermines the Christian faith. Uh, but the solid foundation of God stands. Uh, churches and ministers are uh, some are falling for the homosexual, transsexual, asexual, uh, non-binary agenda, but God's true saints, God's true church will stand firm uh, against uh, those kind of perversions. And for God's design, this is just one example, but the church will not fall for these things. Uh, Paul builds his hope for the Christian church on the sovereignty of of God, the sovereignty of God, this growing apostasy uh, that we may see around us, that Timothy may have seen in his day, uh, does not change the fact of the solid, sovereign will of God, the sovereign foundation, solid foundation under us. His eternal election, you see, is a firm foundation. It cannot be shaken. Uh, his chosen ones will remain firm. Because their foundation is firm. Uh, and God's will is such, the Bible says, no one can thwart. Paul mentions that this foundation has a seal. And in ancient times, and still today, we find that seals are used. But in ancient times, it was used to uh, identify, the, you know, to authenticate official documents uh, same thing is true. If you get a, a letter from a congressman, it'll have a seal on it today. And it, it ensured in those in the old days the king's authority 
if the seal was given, a seal would also be given to, to prevent tampering. We think of the, the seal on the tomb of our Lord. It was, it was sealed so that uh, the, the apostles uh, couldn't, uh, as the Roman uh, government thought, you know, that wouldn't be able to lie and say, you know, uh, taking the body and lie about the resurrection. So they sealed the tomb. Well, the Bible tells us that all true believers have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's not, uh, this is not mentioned here in our text. The seal, according to verse 19, is that the Lord knows who are his. This is, this is in essence, an invisible seal. Uh, it is that his name is stamped upon those that he has chosen. And, of course, those who are chosen do believe in him. And his name is stamped upon. He declares, they are mine. And they are his because he chose them. He chose them before the foundation of the world. Now, many profess to know the Lord, to, be, to belong to him. But the Lord knows those who are truly his. Um, we know, as Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, many will say to me in that day, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he will say to, to some of them, he says, depart from me. You, I, I never knew you. And so on. So some who profess to know the Lord uh, don't really belong to him. And of course, you and I do not know uh, with certainty uh, who they are or who they aren't. Uh, But they are known to God who knows all things. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter one, the prophet Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And so the second phrase qualifies the first one. Some might read that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Oh, yeah, God knew that Jeremiah was going to be born. No, God actually chose Jeremiah. He, he sanctified him before he was ever born. He set him apart. And so uh, this word from God would encourage Jeremiah as, of course, he faced much opposition, as all the prophets did. And, and uh, God knew Jeremiah. He knew him as his own. And he knows you from eternity if you are the Lord's. If you're in Christ, it means that God has chosen you. We love him because he first loved us. We chose him only because he first chose us. And so if he chose you, he owns you. And he will not forget you. He will not leave you. He will not leave you to the wiles of the devil, to the errors of the false teachers. He will not leave you to any random harms that may come your way. No, he makes all things work together for your good. Because he foreordains everything whatsoever comes to pass in your life concerning you. And you see, as... In Ephesus, as well as in Piedmont, God is up to something. He is saving a people for his own possession, for his eternal glory. And this plan, this purpose of God cannot be foiled by false teachers on the one hand or by godless politicians on the other. Because the Lord knows those who are his. It's a firm foundation. And not only did he choose us from eternity, he sent his son to die for us in time. In Titus 2.14, it says he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed 
and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The Lord knows those who are his, and he sent his son to die for them. Now that phrase, the Lord knows those who are his, reminds us also of an Old Testament uh, account in number 16. We read there of the rebellion of Korah and his followers. They rebelled against Moses and his leadership. God had called Moses, appointed him uh, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, lead them through the wilderness. But they rose up against Moses, uh, and they didn't want to accept God's chosen leader. In number 16.5, Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near him. So God will show. God, because God knows those who are his. And in the end, uh, the Korah and those who supported him uh, were destroyed. The earth opened up and swallowed up some of them in, in their tents, and the rest were destroyed by fire that came down from God. And so uh, it may not always be evident to us, but on the day of judgment, certainly all things will be made known. But there's another aspect to this divine seal. Some have thought of it as like the flip side of a coin, if you will, but uh, the la- last part of verse 19 says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So the first half is, you know, the solid foundation stands, the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So the Lord knows those who are his. He's chosen them, and he's omniscient. And they are yet revealed by the fact that they depart from iniquity. All true believers depart from sin and iniquity. Those who name the name of Christ, uh, what are they saying? They're, they're declaring to the world, I belong to Christ, uh, that I am his and he is mine. And if you say you belong to the Lord, you've got to separate yourself from iniquity. You must depart from it. The, the Bible says, Hymenaeus and Philetus claim to know Jesus... But they wouldn't depart from their the sin of false teaching. And so Paul warns Timothy, warns the saints in Ephesus uh, to depart from these men and their teaching. Again, if you go back to number 16, before God consumes uh, Korah and, and the wicked followers of Korah, in number 1626, Moses told the people, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So there must be a departing from evil. And that's just one example. Departing from, turning away from false teachers. We cannot allow them uh, to, to have any say in the church. Not only uh, will those who are in Christ depart from false teaching and stick, stay true to the Bible, but they will depart from false living. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him. So you and I can be assured that we belong to the Lord. One way we know this is because he is at work to sanctify us, uh, uh, to conform us more and more into his image. We see this gradual uh, working of God, working out uh, uh, of his will in our lives. And so, yes, God chose us. He knows those who are his. And those who are chosen will put their faith in Jesus for salvation. They're saved by grace 
alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they strive also to follow him and obey him. And this is one way, as Peter says, we make our calling and election sure. And um, a true church on earth uh, is founded by the sovereign choice of God. But it is reflects uh, its being chosen by God by repentance, uh, by the repentance of uh, the people of God. The true church is is known, is evidenced on the earth. And, and, and this necessity of repentance and cleansing uh, is described by Paul in verse 20 as, as a picture of a great house. Uh, a, a wealthy house, if you will. And, and Paul says in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Uh, when I think of a great house, I think of the Biltmore House in, in Asheville, and I've been through there. And and, uh, and it also reminds me of the house on Downton Abbey, the, the television series. It's a house in Great Britain where... Uh, they filmed that place very similar to the Biltmore House. And in these houses, in the dining rooms, in the upstairs part, you had all the, the fine china, you had the, the silverware, the, the gold, vessels of gold and silver and crystal and so on. Uh, the, the owners of the house and their guests used these. But down below was the kitchen. And in the kitchen, you had the clay pots, you had you know wooden bowls, you had... You know, waste cans, compost buckets. A lot of things go on in the kitchen you don't really necessarily want to even know about. But when it comes on the table and everything's uh, on the beautiful, uh, you know, vessels, you are served a fine meal uh, and so on. But there's a difference, right, between the kitchen and the dining room. Some vessels were for honor and some for dishonor. And the point in verse 21, if anyone cleanses cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You know, the, to me, the, the greatest thought I could have in this short life of mine is that I might be useful somehow for Jesus Christ. When I felt that God was calling me to the ministry, calling me to, to begin seminary uh, many years ago, uh, Someone asked me, you know, why would you want to go to seminary? Why would you want to go to the ministry? And I said, I wanted my life to count. I wanted to be useful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a desire to be useful? You don't have to go into the ministry to be useful to Christ. Uh, on the one hand, you know, God doesn't need us. You know, uh, I could be out the door. You can find another preacher. Uh, there's lots of other preachers out there uh, that you can get. And, uh, you know, we have a wonderful pianist. There, there are other pianists. They're actually hard to find. <laughs> We're glad we found Jack. But, uh, you know, every one of us is, none of us is indispensable. But God wants to use us. He delights in the gifts that God has given you and that you use those gifts. And uh, in some way, for his purpose. The, the question is, what kind of person does God use? And he uses clean vessels. Those who are pursuing holiness. Imagine, again, being a guest at one of these great houses, and you're sitting at the table, and you're, and you're about to be uh, 
serve some delicious meal, you know, some fine dining. And uh, they put the plate in front of you, but it's never, it hasn't been washed from the previous meal. And it's got a bunch of stuff all stuck all over it, and it's kind of gross looking. And, and they say, here, have some mashed potatoes, and they put them on the plate. I don't think, I don't think you'll have much of an appetite at that point. Um, I do remember being at a restaurant uh, many years ago, and I noticed my glass of water that I had ordered. It had a nice, large smudge of red lipstick on the rim of it. Needs to say, I refuse to drink out of that glass, and I kindly requested the waitress to get me a clean glass. And likewise, God refuses to use uh, vessels for him uh, unless they're clean, unless they're being cleansed. And of course, you say, well, we, Mark, didn't you just say earlier, we all sin every day in thought, word, and deed? How in the world can we be clean? And some of us might think, well, if that's the case, that I sin so often, what's the, what's the use in trying to be holy? Well, it's kind of like that, your, your dishes at home, you know, they're going to get dirty every day. Why bother to clean them? Um, well, you're going to clean them, right? You just got to keep doing it. Uh, you got to keep doing it. Shorter Catechism asks the following question. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Answer, no mere man since the fall is able to live in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. So, okay, that's true. But though no one can achieve perfection... First of all, we rely on Christ's perfection for our salvation. We cannot uh, do anything but plead the mercy of God in Jesus Christ as far as being saved, accepted, forgiven, and so on. But secondly, once we have rested in Christ alone, we aim at perfection. We do aim at it. Um, Paul, I mean, John says in 1 John chapter 2, he says, I write these things to you so that, you know, that we, you don't sin. And then he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So I write these things so you don't sin. We must aim at perfection. But we aim at it knowing that God is at work in us as well. That he will, by his spirit, sanctify us. It's a daily Process, it's a lifelong process. It doesn't end in this life. And, and, but in this process, God enables us to die more and more to sin and to walk in newness of life. Second Corinthians 7 and verse 1 says, Therefore, having this promise, these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so when we confess our sins and ask forgiveness, the Lord cleanses us. It's pretty simple. But upon being forgiven, we are called not to return to the filth that we just confessed and were cleansed of. And by God's grace, you see, we're praying for grace not only to be forgiven, but to remain clean as long as possible. And it, again, it's a continual process. Uh, and, and why do we bother? Why do we go through with it? Why don't we just live in the filth? Well, because we know the Lord and we know that dishonors him. We don't want to live that kind of life. And why do we do it? Because we also want to be useful to the master. So I ask this question, what does it mean 
to be useful to Christ. If you have a desire to be useful, if the commandment is you know, that we should be useful, um, what does it mean? Well, he goes on to say uh, that it means we are being prepared for every good work. We know we're not saved by good works, um, but those who are saved are being prepared to do those good works, and even the works themselves, as Ephesians 2 uh, in verse 10 says, um, you know, that we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance uh, that we should walk in them. So uh, how do we know what good works are? Is it just whatever I dream up, whatever I think might be a good thing to do for the Lord? No. Uh, what we devise or what we might do with good intention uh, is not the point. No. What good works are those that are commanded by God in his word and done with a right motive, the glory of God. That's how we know what a good work is. So it's not what we dream up. It's what God clearly commands in the Word. So do you want to be useful to God? Keep His commandments. What does holiness look like? Well, it looks like obedience to His commandments. And for the right reason. Not in order to gain anything from God, but because you're saved. And to glorify Him, we know that obedience honors Him. So holiness is necessary for our usefulness. Holiness is not required for salvation because we come empty-handed. We come with nothing but sin, and the Lord saves us. But when we're saved, then holiness, and again, it's progressive, it's partial, but it's necessary. Uh, And to the degree that we're being made holy and cleansed, to that degree, I think we can be more useful to God. Dr. Joel Beakey, in his excellent book titled Puritan Spirituality, writes the following. He said this. He said, God uses holiness to assist the preaching of the gospel and to build up the credit of the Christian faith, which is often dishonored by careless Christians. Holy living preaches reality. It influences and impresses like nothing else can. No argument can match it. It gives credibility to our witness and evangelism. That's powerful. We must seek holiness knowing that there is one supreme task that the church has been given to do. There's one grand purpose for the church. What is that purpose? Well, Dr. R.B. Kuyper in his book, The Glorious Body of Christ, states that the church's task is to teach and preach the word of God. That's it. And he says, whatever else it may properly do, there are other things the church does, is subordinate and subsidiary to that task. This is its supreme task, the preaching of the word of God. So the church has received a message from God. And the first thing we do with that message is believe it. We receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We repent of sin and we turn to him. But there's something else we do with that. We take it with us wherever we go, and we spread that message uh, to the world. So, yes, that message is preached by those who are called and ordained to preach it, but those who hear it also preach it. Read Acts chapter 8, and it says, The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the Christians, the ordinary day-to-day Christians, went everywhere spreading the gospel. That's how it's to be. And so... uh, We make disciples of all nations, and we have a great commission, 
Every Christian can be useful to God in that task. So what are you doing to be useful in this uh, area of the preaching of the word? You say, well, I'm not preaching, so I can't do that. But uh, there are a lot of things you can do uh, to support that and to promote that. Yes, and you do preach, just not in the pulpit. Your life preaches, your words preach uh, every day. Uh, I would suggest you start by praying uh, something like this. Lord, make me useful. Cleanse me. Make me useful for Christ. Show me how and where I can be useful. And, and help me to do good works, especially the work of uh, spreading the gospel to the people you put in my life. And help me to be a servant to them. Help me to be open uh, with sharing that good news with everyone in my life. We can ask how we can be useful within the church. Some people think only of outside the church, and some people think of serving only within the church. But it's really not. It's, it's both. Uh, we can be useful in the church and outside in the world. So if you're not involved, I would say uh, start somewhere. Just be willing to do whatever lowly task uh, that are needed, and you might ask your officers, church officers, what you might do. And if someone asks you to do something, do it cheerfully if you're able to do it. And of course, there's some things you would need to pray about. If if you're if someone asks you to consider serving in the office, you need to pray about that and maybe get counsel about it. But uh, if you are not called to preach, if you're not called to teach, then you can pray. Uh, for those who teach and preach, you can give to support the work of the ministry of the word. Um, that's a huge part of our tithes and offerings. We're doing that so that church can proclaim the word of God. And the missionaries, of course, who are sent out, uh, we're supporting them uh, preaching the word where they, God has called them. Uh, we can bring people to hear the word and then we can take that word to them in whatever way we're able to. So as we, as we think about this short passage here, to summarize, first of all, the Lord knows that the solid foundation is that the Lord knows who are his. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's called us through the preaching of the gospel. We have come to Christ. We believed in him. He's adopted us. He's sanctifying us. He's cleansing us uh, that we might do his will, not our own. He saved us to serve. He saved us, and he continues to work on us that we might be useful to him. And that usefulness is going to look different and, and for everyone. But it all goes back to the being useful and somehow making sure that the word of God, the gospel, goes forth. And even though our best works are tainted by sin, that's, you know, you think, oh, what's the use? If even my works are, are tainted by sin, they're defiled, they're imperfect. Well, we serve a perfect Savior who daily cleanses even our works. And he accepts what is sincere and from, from the heart. We're his children. And, 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 and by grace, they're accepted through Christ. And he looks upon what we do for him. And he accepts it. For the sake of Christ. And he is perfecting us. He's continuing to work in us that which is well pleasing in his sight. He's doing it for his own glory. And it is 
humbling because we know our weakness, we know our sin, we know we're not worthy. But He wants to use you. He wants to use you. Who does He use? He uses clean vessels. So let's work on our cleanliness. Let's work on our holiness. Let's pray that God works in us to do and to will according to His good purpose. Let's pray.